Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Cheryl Toth, your co-host, and we've got Mike Sakopoulos here in our virtual studio today as well. Mike, how's it going today? Going great. Hi, everyone. I am so excited, Mike, about our show today. We are going to be talking about what makes a great practice leader. And we're going to rise above the fray of the management minutiae to talk about something that's as critical to success as correct coding is, and that's leadership, leading the organization and its people to grow and thrive. And I'm thrilled to report that Tracy Spears agreed to speak with us for this episode, and and I'll be interviewing her. Tracy is an author, speaker, and a coach who develops and trains leaders all over the world in medical practices as well as other industries. She's great. She is fabulous. And Tracy's given so many practical tips in this interview that our listeners are going to be really pleased. They're really going to love this. I think that all too often practices focus on the technical aspects of business, the coding, the billing, the hiring. Okay, all important. I, I, I grant you that. But if you really want to optimize practice environment with profits to match, I say again, profits to match, <laughs> you need someone to lead and not just manage the details and do the clerical things, review reports and whatnot. All right? Yes. Um, and there is a big difference between the two those two aspects. And I talk with Tracy about that. She's got some great guidance about the difference between those, the the managerial oversight and the leadership of the practice and the team. And the fact that you can learn to be a leader. And she talks about that. And uh, that's something Peter Drucker has always said. If you read Peter Drucker, I'm a big fan, um, is that effective leadership skills aren't inborn. You can, in fact, learn them, but you have to be committed to improvement and thinking differently. Well, Tothi, I am eager to get to the interview with Tracy Spears, very eager. But before we do that, it's your turn. You know what this means. Word of the show. Yes. And today's word is metal, a person's ability to cope well with difficulties or to face a demanding situation in a spirited and resilient way. Metal. Oh, good choice (laughs) for today's word, a practice leader with metal can face issues of hospitals employing their referral sources head on and probably with spirited positive attitude that makes the process less difficult mm-hmm. than keeping things hush hush, which is silly. But you know what? You and I have both seen this before. Yes, yes. And we were talking before uh, we recorded today about this example. I mean, I worked with a large allergy group years ago, and the administrator literally told me and my colleague that his style was to manage on a need-to-know basis, Mike. I mean, he didn't think the staff needed to know much of anything. He wasn't leading. He was actually keeping secrets. He felt like they just needed to do their jobs and stay heads down. So not surprisingly, staff were like sheep following orders. They never knew what was in the works until it was announced. And then they just had to jump to it. It was a very stressful environment. And I would not define that as good leadership. I think a leader with more metal than that dude would be much more effective. Oh, totally agree. It sounds like you uh, ran into the modern equivalent of uh, Charles Dickens there. (laughs) People are widgets and we're just going to uh, just do what what you're told. Don't ask any questions. Exactly. Not Um, effective. 
No, no, ne never good. And you know what? Our guest today would uh, would certainly think that that was a, a, a poor style of management. So I don't think we should make people wait any longer, Tothi. I think it's time to jump right into your great interview. We're excited to have Tracy Spears, founder of the Exceptional Leaders Lab, in our virtual studio today. Tracy, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, we are too. This is going to be a great conversation. Um, so Tracy has trained and coached people all over the world to improve their leadership and communication skills. She's going to tell us more about that in a minute, but what I thought you'd like, I thought we'd start by saying is that Tracy Spears is the author of What Exceptional Leaders Know, um, and she also earlier this year co-authored a new book of coaching strategies for leaders, and that one's called Exceptional Leaders Playbook, which I love that title actually. Um, Tracy has a podcast and a blog. She wrote an, a great article in the Journal of Medical Practice Management uh, about how to what happens when you get promoted and how to successfully transition in that. So we're going to talk a little bit about everything related to uh, what makes a great leader, what competencies should you be looking for when you're uh, hiring somebody or, or um, grooming somebody to run your practice. And so that's what our conversation will be about today with Tracy. So why don't we start, Tracy, by telling, telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. I know you've spoken for MGMA and you've worked with healthcare practices as well as outside of the healthcare industry. So how did you end up coaching leaders and what is the Exceptional Leaders Lab? Well, good question on the first and the second one. So I'll answer the second one first. The Exceptional Leaders Lab is an organization that my business partner and I, Wally Schmader, founded a couple of years ago, and we coach leaders of all levels. So our, you know, that's our, our passion is that no matter where someone is in a leadership role, that we can provide a curriculum that can help get them to the next level, you know, whatever that is. And that really came out of the, the few books that you've mentioned that we've written. Mm -hmm. And really just, uh, I can't even tell you how many audiences I've stood in front of. And at the end of a speech, they've said, do you have that in writing, you know, or how can we get more, more information? So the lab was created really just as a way to facilitate, you know, getting all that information to people. The first question was how we ended up doing it. Um, so I have a background where I worked for an organization and my job was to uh, go into, we had 140 you know, three brick and mortar offices at one point. And so I was, you know, tasked with going into those offices and trying to figure out what makes some of those offices really successful and what are the things that we can leverage from those offices and why are some offices not as successful? Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, it always kind of came down to a couple of things that were differentiators and we'll just put those in the leadership category. It ended okay. up being that the leadership um, in those different, in those two different organizations had a lot to do with that success. So uh, that's how I got, you know, in, into coaching leaders. Well, great. Um, I, could you share what those couple are, those couple things that were sort of common? Yeah, like 62 things. Uh, let's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Give us a few. Give us yeah, a flavor. Yeah, I think, I think that when you start to look at, you know, leadership as a skill and instead of, you know, people being innately born to be leaders. Once you get that, that, you know, everybody can learn how to be a great leader, that it's not the most charismatic person in the room. It's the person that can take somebody and cultivate their talent 
they can, you know, connect to the potential and the people that are on their team and figure out how to be a conduit, how to help them perform at a super high level. That's really what leadership is. So what I think people think leadership is, is it somebody that signs a check? It's really not. It's somebody that can say, you know what, this is where you are. And I know, I know you have great, amazing potential. Mm -hmm. And let me see how I can prop you up. How can I help you build the right muscles so that you can perform at a high level? And that's what we found in our really successful offices is that, you know, those leaders were very connected to and dialed into the performance of the people on their team. And that is a completely different atmosphere than when you walk into an organization and people are just doing what they're told to do. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. So cultivate and connect. I got those yeah. two. Those are great, great. We, we, we talked um, earlier uh, in the show about words that describes great, that describe great leaders. And so those are two excellent ones as well. Um, I've heard you say that leadership is a verb and I've, thought you might tell us a little bit about what you mean by that because well actually cultivate and connect are both verbs so <laughs> tell us what um what you mean by leadership as a verb yeah i i think it's you know again it's not um it's not your title it's not uh it, it's what you actually go do right it's it is an it's an action and so when you look at uh, somebody that is sitting behind a desk and they are the leader, let's say, and they do nothing other than management things or they do, you know, they're, they're performing functions that have nothing to do with the people on their team. That's not leadership. They, the leadership, you know, is a verb piece is how do you get in and connect with those people that are in your organization? And as we just said, move them from point A to point B. It's, mm -hmm. it's being super intentional. It's having difficult conversations. It's inspiring the people on your team. It's how you influence. It's all of those things that are really driven by the people in the organization and not at all by the leader. I, I, you know, I always say that, I, and I believe it to be true, leadership is the most pride-swallowing, gut-wrenching job there is because nobody cares about the leader as much as they care about themselves, right? Like the minute you're in a leadership position, everybody then's like, okay, what are you going to do for me? What can you, you know? And, and it's, uh, it's interesting because that requires a completely different skill set than what got you into the leadership role in most mm -hmm. most. Yeah, well, and I, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm reflecting back on um, a healthcare technology company I worked with where the particular, maybe the head of the company was, you know, had one role, but the, the people who I really learned from that were, I'm taking off on some of the words you mentioned, who inspired me, who influenced me, who cultivated me were not necessarily the one at the top. It was some of our angel investors, actually, who sure. provided some great mentorship and guidance. And I, I really felt like I grew in that um, environment because of those folks. And that is exactly how I would describe um, one, one person in particular. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, if you think of that leadership being influence, which when you, you know, when you peel it all back, that's really what it is. That's somebody that influenced you in a way that you're still talking about them. That's definitely, that fits the definition for sure. You yep. should send a thank you note to that person. <laughs> yeah, I have. And you know what, I, you, but you're get, making me realize that I need to connect with him, really. It's been, a, it's been at least six months. So that's a good plan. Sure. Um, so let's talk a little, you know, we're kind of, zeroing in on what the what a leader is i guess in in some from some different perspectives and i want to talk about this idea that you have in your book 
of the thermometer versus the thermostat analogy, where you talk about how there's really a difference. I mean, a thermometer measures things. And I think in healthcare and in particular physician offices from, from what I've seen is that a lot of times physicians are looking for a thermometer type leader quote, unquote, manager, administrator, uh, somebody who takes the temperature, as, as you say in the book, this style measures, reviews, reports, analyzes, revises stuff. And it's actually a less effective form of leadership, as you say, because a leader needs to be able to transcend measure, just measuring and um, have what you call more of a thermostat perspective. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit more about what this thermostat perspective is and why that's a better leadership approach. And maybe if you have an example, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. When you think about um, the thermostat actually establishes the temperature in the room, right? So Mm -hmm. your definition was a good one that, you know, the thermometer is just saying this is what's going on. And and really there's not a great skill set involved in that or not as much as a skill set. I'm not going to say there's not one at all. There certainly is one. But when you go to that next level of saying not only, you know, is it important that we know what the temperature is, but how can we influence that? How can we manipulate that? How can we change that, uh, that, you know, the temperature, the thermostat is the leader that can actually do that. So when you, you know, what does that look like in action? Um, Does the leader have non-negotiables that they won't allow a certain behavior in the organization, right? And they actually take action on that. Or is the leader just going, oh, wow, I know there's some little, you know, mini fires going on, but I just don't have the, you know, the time to deal with it. And they Mm -hmm. let that happen. And all of a sudden, they have this very, you know, kind of toxic work environment. They have people in cliques. They have, you know, subjective performance reviews. They're not having the tough conversations. And all of a sudden, you know, they're not influencing the direction of the organization. They're literally just trying to, you know, keep their head above water. And I'll tell you one of the best uh, stories I ever heard. I worked with a guy. His name was Rick Hust, and he got up to the um, to the lectern. He was giving a talk, and he said, as as we were talking about, you know, great leadership. He said, "I'm going to tell you what I do." He said, "I turn on the electricity before I walk into that office, and then when I walk in, I turn on the." Or he said, "I turn on the the yeah." Then I turn on the lights, and I thought, <laughs> "Oh my gosh!" He turns yeah. on the electricity before he walks in, and then he walks in and turns on the lights. And I thought that was the best description I could think of that 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 energy that permeates a high performing team yes that energy that you know you know when you walk in it's a special place to work you can just tell not that everybody always has smiles on their face but you know you can just tell there's a little different energy there and that's that's intentional right that doesn't just happen by uh, by chance that happens because somebody in leadership says let me tell you what kind of environment i want to have and these are the things I'm willing to do to create accountability to that. And that's what I think makes an exceptional leader for sure. So setting the tone, creating the environment like a thermostat would, and um, really creating the comfort level, I guess, if you will, for everybody. Um, I, I heard you say that, you know, that kind of leadership is different than, or, or what happens is, it's hard to have that kind of leadership when you're just focusing on being the thermostat and you're putting out fires and you can barely keep your head above water. But the reality is in so many small practices in particular, as you know, you've got these managers who are just, oh my gosh, they're dealing with a patient issue and a reimbursement issue. And then the HR policy manual needs to be updated and the social media and, you know, oh my gosh, their head is spinning. So what tip do you have or 
couple of tips that you would say to those managers who are feeling overwhelmed and they feel like, well, I'd love to set the tone and, and you know, go in this direction as a leader, but how can I kind of get to that point when I'm tasked with so many things? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the, the first word that came to mind and I knew where you were headed was delegation. Like mm. I think that too many times we, we get promoted, we get into a role and we get that promotion because we were really great producers, right? Because we, um, you know, we just got stuff done and now that person gets in a leadership role and they assume that what that means is that that means they need to do more. And the truth is that is not the truth. It means they need to do more through the people that are on their team, not do more personally. And so to be able to figure out where are those things that I don't have to touch? What are the things that I can hand off to the people on my team to create, first of all, that, you know, gives them purpose. It gives them, you know, lets them play a role in, in defining what success looks like. But also the other piece that I think is super important is the gift of discernment. Like mm -hmm. when you, the higher you go in an organization, the more things that are on the proverbial to-do list and the more able you are to figure out what are the things that I need to be doing now? What are the things I need to be planning to do? And what are the things I need to delegate? That's the old Stephen Covey you know, model, urgent, important. Yep. But when you can figure out that gift of discernment, as I think the best example would be, you still have a hundred balls in the air, but you now have to figure out which eight are you not going to drop, right? Like I remember the day I was looking at my email. It's been many years ago. And I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get to every email in my inbox. Like my inbox is going to have emails in it when I go home tonight. And I remember being devastated by that because I thought, no, no, no. I was priding myself on being able to get everything done all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is a whole different skill set to say, okay, what's not going to get done? And what yeah. are, how, how can I create the urgency around the things that I must do instead of doing, you know, being busy, being productive? There's a huge difference in those two. And I think a lot of leaders confuse that they you know they think that being super busy is what the job is you know what what's required and that is not true what's the output what's the outcome what does success look like what how can I be sure that I'm engaged in the things that are going to move the needle in the way that the the positions need me to or the board needs me to that's what's most important I'm super passionate about that question by the way <laughs> that's no that's great and you know it's a great segue because Let's take things down to um, what are the competencies then of a good leader, because you're mentioning some of them already, like this ability to discern, ability to delegate. Uh, uh, what as, as physicians out there are listening and thinking about, okay, we've got to replace somebody's retiring or leaving and we're looking for a new leader. What should they be looking for in terms of the competencies in addition to the several that you've mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, continuing to, to stay relevant is always on the list when we start talking about competencies. Um, you know, that person that doesn't see themselves as a, you know, as a finished product. Mm -hmm. I've worked for and been around a lot of really great leaders that were great in that moment, but they didn't stay relevant. They let technology surpass them. They made a decision to not, you know, get better or to grow in a particular area because they didn't feel competent in that. Um, so those are, those, are, those are the death wish, if you will, of great leaders. So that would be one, somebody that's willing to continue to learn, somebody that's willing to embrace technology. Okay. Uh, if, if you aren't willing, especially in healthcare, to embrace technology and, and how that can make us better, 
you know, and change, right? You have to be able to, to you know, you can't manage change, or you have to be able to figure out how to navigate the change for sure. I think that leading by example, um, somebody that is deeply concerned about the employee experience, that's definitely a competency, you know, when you can set aside, you know, what you have to you know, what you, what you want to do and, and, and the things that you have to do and go, okay, wait a minute, for me to get there, I have to pay attention to one of my big clients, which are these people sitting out there that, you know, that are reporting to me, how can I better serve them? So those, that always comes to mind when I think about competencies, you know, how, how do you communicate in a way that is effective? We do a lot of temperament training and in that temperament training, we use colors. I, I think people use Myers-Briggs or uh-huh, all of those, I love them all. I think they all serve a purpose. And the point that they're all trying to make is, is that the lens that we view the situations in is very different. And a great leader has figured out how to connect with those people on their team, not just from their own point of view, but what is it that somebody else is thinking? How can I say that or phrase that in a way that can connect with each one of the people on my team? And that's a, that's a skill set for sure. Yeah, you mentioned the Myers-Briggs. I think that that can give some insight that you can't necessarily get from just asking questions in an interview. And the, there's a, the DISC tool is another one, uh, but I, I agree, whichever you use, it's something to kind of assess or figure out some of the things be, below the surface in terms of those behaviors. Because uh, when practices are hiring, um, this is, I'm going to ask you about some of these, I love these competencies. How would they, so Navi- uh, navigating change, embracing technologies, the, the lifelong learning, I'm in total agreement. It's, it's amazing how many, um, uh, how unfortunate it is that there are managers and practice leaders out there that haven't been, had any training for five, six, seven years. They haven't really been able to improve their own skill sets. So that is important. How would a physician ascertain some of these things when hiring? Like uh, as far as the employee setting, the explore employee experience, are there any particular questions or things that could be done in the interview process to help doctors ferret that out, if you will? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of online testing now. Um, I'm sorry, I don't even have one I could send you to, but there, I mean, I think everybody, if you Googled that, you could, you know, here are the 20 questions and this is what it means. Um, I think the hard part when you do that in the interviewing process is that when people take tests, they have a tendency to answer the test based on what they think the right answer is. Mm-hmm. And so I don't find those always to be as reliable because, you know, uh, if, if you take that same test three months after you get that job, you're probably going to have very different answers. So yeah. I, I, you know, I do think you have to create some objective measurements when you bring people on. I think okay. there are, you know, some way you can ask questions, you know, um, that can target specifically some of those. I would pretend to be an HR person, but I can tell you, I love some of those, you know, uh, you know, scenarios where, you know, you can ask somebody the right question and and at least get a little sense of how they would react in that. Um, I do also, we do colors uh, in, you know, when, when we go and work with organizations, like we get called all the time to a medical practice and they'll say, Hey, we just need like a, you know, a team building. We need somebody to come in and spend a couple of hours over the lunch hour and, you know, do something to connect us and, and create a communication method. So we do that and we use colors. And so the colors for us is just a super fast way to connect to what that temperament is. The, the cool thing is there's only four temperaments. So it's not like you're learning, you know, 64 different, you know, ways to say something. Mm-hmm. You're really just learning a few, a few things. So I'd say anything you could do to get connected to those would be, 
really well worth it. Well, and you know what we'll do, Tracy, is we'll, um, I'll put some information in the show notes for folks about that. So uh, information on how they can get uh, additional resources around color. The, the name of that is col- Colors? The Colors? We, well, we call it um, uh, Temperament, Tolerance, and Teamwork. Is, it's the module that we do. It's just, that's just the method. Uh, if you're willing to do that, I'm willing to give 25% off anything anybody wants to, to do with us, too. So remind me to tell you how to get that ELO. Oh, that's good. Sure. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll put all that in the show notes, including, of course, you know, how you can reach Tracy and, and the website. Absolutely. So, um, cause I'm interested in that as well. I haven't, I haven't heard about that. Um, and I am always looking for new strategies and ways, um, to, to learn, you know, about how you might, um, uh, uh, you know, pr- bring a team together and um, foster better, better interpersonal yeah. relationships there. I'll so, tell you what we did because a lot of practices don't have a budget for that. I mean, I, I you know, so I do for a living. I, I go in and do those, but we also put an online course on so you can get all of it for, uh-huh. I think it's 195 bucks on our website and you can, you can go through five to six hours of all of that, you know, in 20 minute, you know, or I'm sorry, in, in two to three minute sound bites. So I don't know. I think, I think there's so many people out there that have done that. Uh, it would be hard to not be able to get that information right if you, once you make the decision you wanted to get it. So Great. Oh, no, that's really helpful. I like that. Um, I, th- I think it's, you know, in these days to be able to, ha- to send people away sometimes is cost prohibitive. So if there's an online option, we'll put, we'll put all that in the notes. Um, okay, so let's talk about, talk a little bit about hiring, setting some objective measurements, um, some ways to um, use colors and other um, assessments that we've been talking about. But let's, um, let's talk about your article in the Journal of Medical Practice Management, which is focused around, promote. you got promoted. Yay, I think that's what it's called, right? You've been promoted. <laughs> so now <laughs> what? Uh, let's talk a bit, of, a bit to the managers listening, you know, if they've been promoted or are trying to step into something, kind of step up, what are some of the strategies for successfully transitioning into a leadership role that you would suggest to them? Well, I think that's one of the hardest promotions there is, is when you're promoted from your peers, right? You're now promoted to lead your peers. So I have a lot of um, empathy to, you know, to that particular promotion. So I think it's super hard anyway. Now you're being promoted and now you have all these people that have seen you as the person that they, you know, whether you're complaining to, they were complaining to (laughs) you or you're having all these conversations and now all of a sudden this is somebody that you have to report to. So so just so you know, um, it's very, very important in the very beginning of that for you to get super uh, specific about what kind of leader you want to be. I think you have to sit down and, you know, make a few choices about what do you want to be known for. We do a lot around personal branding. And so if you were to say, okay, look, when people, when I'm not here at the office, what do I want people to say about my leadership? And you make that list. I want them to say that I'm fair. I want them to say that, you know, I'm transparent, whatever those words are. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you would do is say, okay, well, what does that look like? How would I know, um, how would they know that I'm being fair? And so you run a couple of scenarios. This is introspective work, right? Yep. This is not easy stuff, but it's when you take the time to say, this is what I want to be known for, and this is what it looks like, and then know that, and these are the situations where this comes up. And once you can get clear on that, and you're not just reacting all the time, too many times people don't take that time. They just get in a leadership role, they start reacting, they, you know, they're worried about the, the relationships, and they're worried about, you know, the doing their job. They have all... 
just ha- taking that moment to say, okay, in this time, in this moment, if I want to be known as somebody that is fair, that means that the next time somebody says to me, you're not going to believe what she did. Okay. For me to be fair, I'm going to have to say, you know, I, I, uh, I want to know what she did, but I think she should be in here also so that she can defend herself. Right. That's mm-hmm. fair. Like you start to look at super specific strategies that can line up with what you, what you want to be known for. So that's, that's the one thing I would do is get clear on what you want to be, what kind of leader you want to be. Well, and the other one is yeah, just, and I like ahead. this idea of the personal branding. This is very yeah. smart. And it's something that folks can sit down on their own time or over their you know, coffee in the beginning of the day and really think about these things. What kind of leader do you want to be? Right. Because it's not, even, it's not even enough to say, this is what I want to be. That next question, which is, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. How will I be known for that? That's where the power is. Like, I wanted to be known as somebody, in a previous role I was in, I wanted to be known as someone that did not, um, that communicated, you know, quickly. Like, that I didn't, you know, I didn't want them to think that if they reached out to me, I wasn't um, there for them. So what does that mean? Well, that means I have to respond to emails same day. It means mm-hmm. that, you know, they can text me. It means, right, like I had to make that decision, though. Do I, is that really something I want to be known for? And if it is, then this is what I'm going to have to do to be known as that, right? It drives your behavior. It also gives you just a little bit of grounding. I think the other thing I would say about that is just to become a student again. And, you know, I'm a lifelong student, by the way. I, there's no way I know I'll ever live long enough to know it all, right? <laughs> right. You know, it's not going to happen. So I yeah. still attend meetings and I read every day and I, you know, I get on Ted, I I watch Ted talks. I do online courses. I, um, I have a personal board of directors, which um, that's probably the number one thing that somebody who gets promoted should do. (laughs) What's your personal brand, but who are the four or five people that you can connect with that may or may not even probably won't even be in the practice that have been there, done that, right? Somebody that you could go to and say, when you were promoted, what did you write? Somebody that you could say, you know what, uh, in, in a tight moment, I want to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, how did you handle this? That person that can be objective, that can give them that guidance. Those are, man, those are some great things to invest in early on in somebody's leadership career for sure. You've just mentioned a couple terrific ideas um, that actually feed into what my next question was going to be about. How do you keep yourself constantly learning in an environment where often there's no training budget or it's a low training budget? And I love that you've mentioned some low cost and no cost things like like TED Talks. You're right. People can get on and educate themselves by being inspired by others. Um, But I want you to tell me a little bit more about this personal board of directors, because this is a fantastic idea. I mean, how, how would people go about assembling that board, um, if you will, as they move into a leadership position? Yeah, I think just you reach to, out just at, yeah. you know, is that how it works? Yeah, it's not, it's not hard. It's uh, once you decide, you know what, you have to figure out what is the thing or that one or two things that that person can help you with. If you can get a little bit of clarity around that to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm super impressed with how positive your team is or how well your office is run. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Sometimes it's over the phone. Sometimes it's face to face. The difference between this and a mentor program is like, if, if you were to ask me to mentor you in something, I would immediately say no. And I would say no for a couple of reasons. One would be, I don't know how much time I have. What are your expectations? What does success look like for you? Do I even like you? Do we have any energy, right? You know, I got all those things. Like I start to, you know, to freak out and panic. Uh (laughs) But if you said, 
hey, um, I'd like to write a book. And I'd I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions. I would say yes all day long, right? That's, an, that's a very easy yes. It's not in, you know, intimating that we're going to have a two, I have a two-year commitment here. And then if at the end of that I said, hey, you know what, do you mind if I check in with you in a couple of months or six months or whatever? And now all of a sudden you've created this, you know, four or five people that are your go-to people, and they might be bringing you four or five very different things. I have somebody on my personal board of directors that I talk to about investments. I have somebody that I talk to about, you know, um, you know, my speaking career. I have somebody that is advising us on how do we market our online courses more effectively. I have somebody that, um, you know, is the person that says, man, I know that's not what you meant, but this is how it sounded, right? This uh, guy that tells you, you know, it's Wally, by the way, Schmader, my business partner. So I'm pretty specific about what I need and what I want, where I don't have the time to go learn everything about that, but I can go to somebody that that's just, man, they, they have that down. They know that. And I can say, you know, what are the three things I need to know here? What should I be doing? And it just really shortcuts your learning process because we don't have time to, know, to learn at all, but we can definitely learn from the pe other people that have, you know, been there and done that and, and can shorten that, that learning cycle. And that's the whole point of it. Great. I like that. I, I, I think I'm going to do that. I think I need a personal board totally. of directors. It's a terrific idea. Um, I'd like you to uh, comment just before we kind of leave this topic about stepping up leadership game too. Um, if there's anything specific that might be appropriate for those um, women leaders out there, because the truth is so many, I think a majority of people leading physician practices are women. Um, are there any things in particular you might suggest to them? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm going to give you two, I'm going to do a couple answers, but one is I remember the first time I was asked that. So I'm, I'm a woman, obviously a female, and I was the only vice president at an organization I was in. And I was like, isn't it so different? You know, leadership is leadership. And let me tell you what I now know. It is different. There is a difference. There are, mm -hmm. um, there are things that we are not as connected to that perhaps our counterparts are. And uh, the very first answer that came to my mind as you were asking that question was to make sure you use your voice. Mm -hmm. right? The first time I did get promoted into, a, you know, I was finally at the table, so, so to speak. And, yep. um, you know, what do you want to be known for? Let me tell you what I wrote down as somebody that didn't say something stupid. <laughs> and right, that was like the worst thing yeah. I could have written down. But I can tell you that from where that came was, you know, uh, very deep. I just, I didn't want to, you know, say something that people were going to think I, I was not competent in that. And after about six months, um, my business partner Wally said, man, I think we made a big mistake promoting you. And I was like, you know, did I say something stupid? Right. Like that was my first thought. And uh, he's like, no, you're saying nothing at all. Like we, we promoted you. You, we needed your voice. We needed you to come in and shake things up. We needed you to give us your point of view and you've been unwilling to do that. I that was see. a huge learning for me. Right. Yep. So I would say that's the first thing is to make sure that you, um, you know, don't be so worried about how it sounds or do you say it perfectly or, you know, just be, you, you're getting promoted for a reason. Somebody thinks that you are the right person for the job. You're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of the learning, but to still show up and be authentic in that, that's, I think that's huge. I, I think the other thing that happens for women in particular, since you couched it as that, is we have a tendency to think we have to have all the answers. Um, it's very hard for us to say, I don't know, or, you know, because we don't want to look incompetent. And so, you know, you have to be able to say, you know what, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I'll get the answer to that. Or, 
you know, find the people on your team that can help you or just to be able to say, man, that's, you know, that's a good question. I need a little bit of time. So to, so to be able to do that, be vulnerable in that, um, I think that we have to be incredibly, you know, uh, mindful of how to be vulnerable, yet, but yet still be competent and competent in that. Yeah, I, I, in particular, that second one that you mentioned about um, saying, I don't know, but I can get the answer. Um, I remember early in my career having that issue um, as a consultant I, I, because I didn't know what I didn't know in some cases. So I wasn't sure if when I was asked a question by a client, if I didn't know the answer, if that would make me look really, really you know, uh, like I didn't know anything or because I, I just didn't have that discernment yet. Um, but when you, you have to get to that point, I, I think that that is actually, um, it's, it's powerful too, in a way where you're able to say, look, there are a lot of things I do know and I can do, but no, you know, in this case, I don't, but, and your part B of that is the most important, which is I'll find out the answer. So right. that shows the initiative. And then, plus then you learn something new that goes after your previous suggestion, which was constantly learning. So it's an opportunity to expand yourself and to grow, to go find the answer. Sure. And yeah. you can do that in a way that does not um, look, it doesn't affect your credibility, right? Like mm -hmm. we sabotage ourselves as women um, in the way we communicate. Like, you know, we would apologize for not knowing that. We don't have to apologize. I'm sorry. I don't know that. I'm sorry. I don't. Like, I, you know, you, you never need to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Just yeah. eliminate that. Just say, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me find that out for you. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to make a stab at that because I want, you know, obviously I want that to, I want to give you the, the right answer. Give me a little bit of time. That's it. That's all you have to say is I, I, I want to make sure I get the, the answer right. Give me, give me a couple of days on that. You're not saying you don't know or anything. You're just saying, I want to make sure I get it right. Yep. Um, you know, there's, you know, there, there's a lot to that. I, I heard from, um, Oh, Janet Van Warmer, she was in a session I was in and she taught me, I learned so much when I do leadership training uh, and I learned this from her. She was saying that she had a mentor one time that said, instead of saying, I'm sorry, say thank you. And it sounds like this, like you walk into a meeting and you're late instead of saying, you know, I'm sorry, I'm late, say thank you for waiting. And it, oh. it transformed everything yep. because you go from looking apologetic to being grateful, just, you know, oh, gosh, thank you for waiting. Thank you for framing it in that way. Thank you for, and it, that was a real uh, game changer. So I did a, I did something on LinkedIn and had like, you know, 6,000 people immediately comment on it or make yeah. it, you know, do a thumbs up. And I was like, I think that has hit a nerve with Definitely. a lot of the women in that. Cause we all do that. Yes. Oh, it's great. It's great. Um, and let's, I, I, can we talk a little bit about generational leadership. Sure. Um, I would like, I'd like to maybe kind of close this out on this topic, which is how to lead a different generation. Um, I'm fascinated by this topic. And I think a lot of people are, I've written a little bit on it and I found that people just, it, it, it incites a lot of conversation. So what are your thoughts for leaders who are struggling to lead? Well, it's called a younger generation, but let's say like 35 and younger, if you're older than 35 and you're trying to manage those folks or lead those folks and uh, what do they need to think about or um, consider as they lead uh, a different generation? So you said it seems to be a hot topic. It's because it affects every single person, right? doesn't matter what age you are. You are yeah, a generation. We're all in some generation <laughs> dealing with another generation. <laughs> For sure. I think yeah. the millennials, and that's the term that we've given the, you know, this generation. Um, I actually am very excited about this generation. And I'm, I am a baby boomer cusper gen x baby boomer and so mm -hmm. 
for me, uh, when I look at what they, you know, uh, are demanding, they're demanding work-life balance. How yep. dare them, right? <laughs> we were raised with this. It doesn't matter, you know, you, you go to work, not from eight to five, but from, you know, seven to six, you go above and beyond, you do whatever you have to do to do the job. Yeah. And we have this group that they were raised watching their parents do that, watching their parents not have work-life balance, watching their parents work for a company for 35 years only to get fired, you know, uh, you know, and ha- get handed a box to go back. They watched all of that happen and they went, not, not me, not, not going to let that happen. And so I love that they're saying, you know what, there's more to this. There's another, another way to do this. So I think we have a lot to learn from them. I think mm-hmm. not being so mad because they don't seem to be taking it as seriously. If we could just look at their perspective, which is trying to figure out how to integrate you know, not just doing whatever they have to do to get paid, but how can they be happy in that? How can they find joy? How can they be making a difference in the world? How can they, right? I I think those things and also demanding, you know, not a yearly annual review of their performance, but don't make me wait a year. Tell me now, give me the information. How can I be better? Right. I love that about them because it, you know, this sort of these little mini feedback sessions I've noticed as well. By the way, I'm a kindred spirit. I'm also a Gen X I'm Gen X, but on the cusp of baby boomer, but mm-hmm. I too love working with this generation. I've yeah. had great success with them. They look at things completely differently and they want to, um, their, their way of looking at things to improve and to add efficiency, I find just fascinating. And also their creativity, their ability to think more creatively has, has also been impressive to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy um, working with this generation as you do. Yeah, I, I do think the, um, the, you know, the social causes, all of those things, it's just a richer point of view. And we can't just go, man, they've got it easy. What we should be saying is, man, we should have demanded work-life balance too. Man, we should have tried to be entrepreneurial. We should have, you know, but uh, so I think that there has to be balance for both of those. I, I would also say, that for the millennials, and I'm seeing a lot of millennials get in leadership roles, mm-hmm. they're struggling with the Gen Xers, baby boomers. That's a whole different dynamic. But somehow to be able to honor, can you imagine being our age and working for the same company for 30 years or whatever, you know, uh, you know always, you know, work going above and beyond and now having to learn a new you know, method, right? A new, yeah. uh, you know, a new behavior to have a little bit of sensitivity to, you know, just the journey, the journey that both sides have been on and how can you connect both of those in a way that creates a win-win. Anybody that, I don't care what your age is as a leader, anybody that can say, you know what, I care deeply about whatever your journey has been up until now. And as a leader, what I want to do is figure out how I can help you get to whatever's next. I don't care what what generation you are. The person that can do that effectively is going to be, that's going to be a great leader. Yes. Yeah, so I think what I hear you saying then is if you are, let's say you're a younger generation helping lead a generation that's older than you, respecting what mm-hmm. they've been through, seeing their journey as their journey, and then trying to figure out how you can best work with that in helping support their success. Am I right? Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and being mindful of, uh, you know, some of those things that are said that hurt people's feelings, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, 
you know, the, the, we've always, you've always done it that way. Well, that's why we need to do it differently. Like some of those things that like, imagine if that's what you've always known to be true. And now somebody's telling you that there's, you know, it's a different truth. Yeah. It would be hard, right? Yeah. It's a big shift. Mm-hmm, big sure. shift. Okay. Um, any final thoughts you have for our listeners today on um, how they can do better in leading their practices, their offices, their peers? Well, if they're still listening, <laughs> then I'd say they're, they're, they're doing what most people aren't willing to do, right? That, you know, that they're hanging in there and trying to, you know, do whatever they can to get those one or two things. Leadership is never like an overhaul, right? It's usually not, you have to do, uh, you know, everything differently than what you're doing now. It's usually just, uh, you know, a change in perspective. It's a, a tweak here and there. It's trying to figure out those little those little nuances that are going to make the biggest difference. I'll, I'll, I, I guess I would end it with what I started it with, which is, you know, leadership is not a title. It's not who signs the check. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, your position. It's what you do. It's how you influence other people. It's, are you making them better? And anybody that, you know, it would say that they were a leader, I wouldn't want to ask them. I'd want to ask their people, what would their people say about them? If their people are saying, man, they care deeply about me. They're, you know, making sure I'm, and, you know, have whatever tools I need to get better. They listen, they are, you know, connected to our experience. They're like, that's, that's how I know you've got a great leader. So I think that's probably how I'd end it. Great. Thank you. This has been a terrific conversation, Tracy. Um, we're going to put some things about you in our show notes and certainly the link to your website and the colors information. Um, also your article, I think that was in the journal of medical practice management. Well, there'll be a PDF there to download that. Uh, Tracy Spears.com is Tracy without an E T A T R A C Y Spears S P E A R S.com. Hope you all will visit and thank you very much, Tracy. Um, appreciate your time today. You bet. Thank you. Tothi, I think you could fill a notebook with all the good advice that Tracy gave us. I know, right? It was incredible talking with her. I've already started thinking about putting together my personal board of directors and who might be on that. I appreciate that Tracy offered useful things for physicians, hiring practice leaders, as well as practice leaders who want to do better leading their teams, right? It's always helpful to have uh, useful suggestions, and she was chock full of those. Agreed. And I encourage listeners to check out the show notes where we put links to Tracy's website, tracyspears.com. Her blogs are full of great insight and a lot more detail about some of the things that we talked about and that she shared during her interview, like Um, the one, the whole concept of not saying I'm sorry and how you spin that and how to focus on building a better personal brand. And also, if any of you out there are looking for cost-effective leadership training, Tracy and her partner have created an on-demand masterclass. It's on the website, again, tracyspears.com, and it allows you to learn at your own pace. I mean, it's got a lot of modules. It's video, and um, you can learn in your office, no travel expenses. And here's the best part, Mike. Uh, She's extended to Sound Practice listeners a 25% off uh, discount. So there's a code. It's in the show notes. um, And uh, I've already registered. I'm excited to take the class. Excellent. That is definitely a quality uh, production that that Tracy has. People will, will enjoy. And you know what else uh, we have for people, uh, Tothi? Hmm. Our friends at Green Branch. They've graciously uh, provided a PDF of Tracy's article about how to transition into leadership after being promoted. Another great 
great piece from Tracy. Yes, really good stuff. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Sound Practice, Mike. And everyone, thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. But man Robin, Red Book of Power.